Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the Director of Outreach and Faith Formation here at St. Paul's Cathedral in San Diego. And I'm Maya Little Sonia, and I'm the Youth Minister. And our digital resource curator, Jackie Pippen, is not with us today. She's in Minnesota with her family, where I don't know what the temperature is like. I imagine it's humid. The Midwest gets awfully humid. Um, Definitely warmer than Japan. So hopefully she's having a nice time. She'll be back with us next week. Uh, I believe she'll be back in Japan next week. So we'll get a nice, we'll finally get another, we'll finally get a new update from Japan. Yeah, we will. Anyway, this week we are in proper nine. And so like every week, our Faith to Go resources, which you can find at www.stpaulcathedral.org slash faith to go are based on the gospel reading for this Sunday. And so Maya is going to read the gospel reading, and then we're each going to highlight one thing, and then, in lieu of Jackie being here, highlight a third thing together from the reading. So Maya is going to read Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. CP. (laughs) Just had to. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all the, get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to him, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own home. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out, two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Okay, thanks, Maya. Um, So, a, a little bit of context before we get into it. This is story is from the first verse of chapter 6, and last week we heard the last verses of chapter 5. So this comes right after Jesus healed the woman that had been bleeding for 12 years and uh, healed the little girl who had died in the story, the, son, or the daughter of um, Jairus, the synagogue leader. So this is the next thing Jesus has done. So he's done a lot of stuff uh, and kind of escalating um, healing stories and teachings. uh, And he's been doing this, all of this in that region of Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem uh, around the Sea of Galilee. And so Nazareth is one of the towns in Galilee, in the region of Galilee, and it's very small. And it's where Jesus... It's where the Gospels claim that Jesus is from and that Jesus' family traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem and then went back to Nazareth uh, after he was born. And has he's been living here. So Nazareth, though, is not a large town. It's probably, you know, a 100 people, very poor. 
and there are larger cities in Galilee uh, that have much more money, and so and this is not one of them. So in comparison to some of the other towns and cities, even in the region, this is a really poor place. And, and it says something, I think it's important to know what Nazareth is like a little bit because really everybody in this town knows Jesus. Like you Small don't, town life. Right, yeah. You don't, that's exactly yeah. right. You don't <laughs> live in this town and you don't live in Nazareth and not know everybody that is in Nazareth. So when people are saying, isn't this Jesus? You know, don't we all know him? They really do all know him. They do. You know, and so this is as familiar as it can get for Jesus. These are the people that have known him for his entire life and known him really, really well and intimately. So um, one, there's a couple, there's a whole lot going on here in this uh, two kind of two different stories, but they share a common thread that we're going to talk about. And so I'm going to go first highlighting uh, the, our first point of the three points that we're going to make. Uh, the thing that I want to talk about was that familiarity. And especially here where it says, um, prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And where they ask, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And, and it says that he could do no deeds, he could do no deeds of power there. Um, of course, except lay a few, his hands on a few sick people and cure them. Which well, seems it, like right? pretty powerful, but oh, you know that's all. That makes me wonder what exactly it means. A deed of power means in this context, if it's not healing a few sick people and curing them. Um, but I think this is just such a cool pointer to those powerful family dynamics, and so family, the family dynamics, the the spiritual truths of the family family dynamics are what I wanted to highlight from this story, and. There's just something that is really – it's really hard to break free of the familial roles and assumptions that we grow up with, you know, uh, with our – especially our immediate families and our extended families too. Um, whether you're an oldest child or a youngest child or a middle child. Or, or tie for last. Right. <laughs> <I'm a twin. laughs> if somewhere in the middle, like, you kind of – with those people that have known you since you were born or especially since you were really young they're the hardest ones to be in relationship with i think once you when you start to grow and change and claim your own identity and it really has i've felt this in my life of being back with you know my you know like especially after you leave home after you graduate from high school and you go to college or you move out on your own you do so much changing, especially in those years between 18 and, you know, 30, in those 20, in your 20s. And you really do that. You, there's so much change that happens in those formative years of 0 to 18 that happens within your family system. But you're still kind of bounded by your role in the family. And when you leave home, you change in ways that you change in so many exponential ways and you do it, though, outside of those very intimate, quartered relationships with your family members. So really, it's this constant back and forth of going away, changing, and then coming back and trying to 
communicate these changes and this identity that you are claiming that is always transforming with the people that assume that they know you. And that takes a lot of energy and it's really exhausting. And yeah. and I totally it totally resonates with me this thing about having no deeds of power being able to be done there. Cuz like it really does feel like it has felt to me in the past when I go back to my immediate family or my even my ex- extended family from being away from them and try to share with them like my superpowers, like these things that are like really good about me that I really like, that I've learned, that these new things I've learned about myself, it's like all my powers suck dry. No, yeah, they just know? pick up where you left off and yeah. they just revert to how things were. Yeah. Oh man, I can relate to this. Yeah. Jeez. And it's not even, and it's not like they're doing it maliciously. You know, no. they, and, and so I, and then to me, it's also an invitation for me to be aware and open to the way that other people are changing around me and not to put other people in my family or in my friend group, but especially my family, you know, in, pigeonhole them, you know, put them in a box and say, this is who you are and you're never going to change. Because to, we've said this before on the podcast and this is the most, this is like the best story to say this again is there is nobody in the world that isn't changing right now. There's no one in the world that isn't different today than they were yesterday and it's especially hard to keep that space open for other people when we have known them our entire lives but the truth of it is with anybody no matter who they are in relationship to us we can only know them as they are right at this moment and not how they were when they were 10 not how they were when they were five but how they are right now and that's a really hard thing to do and it really does suck the power away from people from both, when you both try parties. to yeah, put them in a box. This is an invitation to be open to the ways that our kids are changing, our parents are changing, our siblings are changing, our aunts and uncles and grandparents. You know, Just because you turn 80 doesn't mean you stop changing. Right. doesn't mean that God stops working in you. And, and that is really, really hard to do because there's something about our families that makes us feel secure like that we want to find security in those relationships but security isn't in pretending like no one is changing that we're in relationship with so, so what was yours i wanted to highlight the same part of the story as david did i also like the hometown sentiment kind of re- resonated with me in a slightly different way um so not only seeing change in familiar things and with uh, within our family but also seeing god in our familiar surroundings so i think god is constantly revealing himself to us in his creation but we oftentimes not reject him well yeah reject him but we also we close our eyes and don't want to see god in those places either by external or internal judgment so they couldn't believe that God was in this kid that they'd known since they'd grown up or that, you know, the word of God was coming from his, his mouth or that was valid because it was coming from him because we have so many judgments on where, who God is, what God looks like, what God sounds like, what God says, and where God comes from and where God is going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God wouldn't, like... In their mind, you know, reading, like, Old Testament scriptures, God would never come to, like, a young mom and a carpenter and an unwed fiancé in a small, broke town of Galilee, like, no one in Galilee. 
like God wouldn't go there, you know, in their minds, you know, God wouldn't, or not necessarily go there, but be incarnate there. Like the Mm -hmm. prophet, the Messiah or the Messiah would not be there. And so they would quickly denounce and be offended by it. Said they took offense at him. Um, Anything that tried to contradict that sentiment. And I think that it's also an internal judgment of when I've been in places like spiritually or physically been in places. It's like God is anywhere, but here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and nothing here is like either worth my time or is good or is holy and I need to get out. And that's not true. I think God has revealed himself uh, in the ways I've least expected it, where I've least expecting it, and from whom I have least expected it. So I wanted to tie it back to as Episcopalians in our baptismal covenant, it says to seek Christ in all persons. And I don't think... Jesus's like townies, not townies. Um, like Jesus's neighbors and people at the synagogue. I don't think they were seeking Christ in Christ. Like I don't think they were looking for God in this guy when he was saying all these things. And by not seeing Christ in these places where we would assume God would not be active and working and present um, through these things or in these things or people then we miss out on an opportunity to hear his teachings, to feel his love, um, for him to be revealed to us and have, like, this really transformative moment simply because, oh, that wouldn't, like, that wouldn't happen here because we think we know what God is and where he would want to reveal and give us just glimpses of, you know, his kingdom and his glory wouldn't be in a synagogue with this, like, random, not random, but guy from Nazareth. Or it wouldn't be in people that we think it would like, you know, we just, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's, I hear two parts to it. There is one part, which is seeking, continuing to be open to recognizing God in the familiar things. And that can be family members, like we were talking about before, or it can be familiar everyday things that we do, you know, doing the dishes and driving to work and like being able to be present and thankful for whatever is happening, even if it's not, um, even if it is like an ordinary thing that's happening. Um, but also being able to be like, like you were talking about seeing God in new ways, being open to new ways of understanding God and not being so set in God having to be this one way and how I define God to be, but being open to how other people around us and the world are showing us God. The ways that we have become, like that our beliefs have become familiar in the same way as being, is like we can stop being, we can stop, we can cease to be able to change in how we understand God in our lives. And then we're just, then we're stuck in the same way as not being able to recognize people changing around us. That's what I was saying. You you said something about, like, not pigeonholing people in our family as they change. We can't pigeonhole God either. Right. And how he expresses himself in his creation has right. also changed and will continue to change. Right. In his changing creation. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or I think we have it figured out, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, no, it, he wouldn't do that. Right. So. We can't know. No, we can't. Uh, and so there's one, there's a third point that we want to make, which is about this second half of the story. After Jesus leaves Nazareth, uh, after with his disciples, and so the disciples have now seen Jesus 
rejected for claiming his identity and and claiming his his own understandings of God. And he sends them out now um, to to cure and to heal and to uh, cleanse people of unclean spirits and to preach this gospel. And he orders them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. And so these disciples are now going out into the places that are familiar to them and that they are familiar to, we can assume. Like, all these disciples are from generally the same Galilean area. And so Jesus said, is, has just shown them, like, this is what could happen. Like, look at what just happened in Nazareth with me. You are going to go out now and spread this good news and know that not everybody is going to be able to deal with your new identity either. Mm-hmm. And so I think it says something to us that when, when we leave that familial circle, we go out into the world, even when we're out in the world trying to claim who we are authentically to other people, there's always going to be people that can't handle it, that yeah. have their own projections from their own baggage that are projecting onto us their needs for our identity rather than being able to accept the identity that we're trying to share with them, accept the stories that we're sharing with them about ourselves. And Jesus is pretty clear here on how to do that. Like, go out, and if you... He says, go out, and, and when he says what to take, it's pretty pretty minimal right it's kind of like take what is necessary to clothe yourself right. but don't armor yourself against the world all you're taking is you right and so it's like bring your authentic self vulnerably out into the world and share it and when you enter a place when you enter into a relationship when you enter into this house or relationship with someone that can't handle it that is projecting onto you all their hurt and pain and they can't hear your story Shake the dust off their feet, off your feet as you leave that relationship and place, not because you did anything wrong, but because as a witness to them that they couldn't handle it. It know? also works. It says more about them that they can't handle it exactly. than it says about you. When it said a testimony against them, yeah. And that where you've, when you, where you've treaded there that will not define you as you keep moving forward, that mm-hmm. it won't mark you. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, like going with that, I also wanted to point out the converse of it where it says, uh, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place, meaning like the town. Mm-hmm. And so when you encounter people that you do find solace and refuge in relationship with mm-hmm. and or situation or a milieu or people that fully accept your identity and what you're saying and, and your story, authentic story, then stay there, make a home with them. And he's obviously saying just don't like don't live there forever but establish that relationship and keep that going mm-hmm. um, until until you move on to a different place because, you know, people change mm-hmm. and move on. But, um, you know, be where you are when you're accepted there and realize when you're not accepted there that you should keep going. Yeah. So we have three points that we pulled out of this story. Uh, the first one being the importance, uh, how hard it is to to change and claim a new 
identity as you change in your family system. Um, and, and still the importance of being open to how the people that we are most familiar with are changing. Uh, and Maya's second point was uh, to be open to how God is moving in the familiar around us and to be aware of how, how our understandings of God can get familiar and how we can be open to them changing too. And then the third thing is about going out, as Jesus sends his disciples, um, in vulnerability and, and courage and bringing all of ourselves to relationships, uh, no matter how they are, how we are, um, how we are received, always bringing our full story and our full self, sharing wholly of ourselves. And when we can't be heard, to move on and when we can be heard to seek solace in those relationships and then still to move on and to mm-hmm. know that there's always another step of the journey. So after hearing that conversation, Maya is going to read the gospel one more time. Mark 6, 1 through 13. He left that place and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all, get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometowns, and among, those, and among their own kin, and in their own ho- house. And then he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the village teaching, villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. All right, that's our episode for this week, for Proper 9, the week of July 8th. We hope you all have good discussions with your family this week. Make sure you go and check out all of the Faith to Go resources at www.stpaulcathedral.org slash faith to go, where you can also sign up for a weekly email that comes out every Sunday that includes all of the resources for each of the age groups, if that's an easier way for you to get it. Make sure to rate and review this podcast and to follow us on Instagram at faith to go, where we post discussion questions every Sunday also. Thanks again for uh, listening in, and we'll be back in your feed next week. But until then, bye, everybody. Bye.